All right. Um, today's reading is Mark 10, 46 to 52. We found on page 934 of the Bible's next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, had mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jen. Pray with me. Our God of grace, as we approach you in this time, as we are in dialogue with you, now we look to listen and to hear your voice. We do that in this room as we sit, some of us strangers to each other, some of us don't, you know, we might not know hardly anyone here. Um, others of us have good friends, longtime companions in the journey of faith. We come, some of us, with great doubts, others of us embracing you more than we ever have in our life. Um, some of us come uh, having had a time when you seemed real so long ago, and now we wonder if it's ever going to be like that again. Some of us come with great happiness, others of us come in grief and in pain or in great disappointment because life is not handing us what we expected or what we might think we deserve. And in the mix of all the beauty and the pain, all the intricate uniqueness of our journeys and the trouble we've faced, we find that we're if we're honest, we're more of a mess, each and every one of us, than we care to admit. And as we sit in these seats more broken than we want the person next to us to know, this story of grace, your story, the story of Jesus tells us that we are also more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. And so may we sit in the context of those two realities and may they transform us this morning as we listen for your voice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we ask the question of ourselves that John McEnroe used to ask and scream at that umpire in the chair. Are you blind? Are you blind? I'm sorry you had to live through the 80s to uh, catch that for some of you young ones. Are you blind? Are you seeing things clearly? in your life? Are you seeing things with blurry vision or clear vision? Are you, how do you view the questions of who you are, what your purpose is in life, and what outcomes God has for you? Are the answers that you come up to those questions, are they accurate? Are, they, are you seeing things clearly? 
or are you blind? Why is it that we, it seems like we are so consistent at getting it wrong? So consistent at being surprised by what life throws our way. As if, you know, we thought everything was going to line up with just how we, just what our vision was. And we're having to adjust and recalibrate often some of our most central assumptions and presuppositions about what we thought life was. In fact, um, as we talk about spiritual sightedness today, you could pretty much say that uh, a seasoned, mature Christian who's lived the journey with God and God's grace for long, 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 long time, many, many years, that sightedness that they have actually comes and is developed through a lifetime of adjusting assumptions, a lifetime of dialogue that basically is, God, what are you up to? I thought it was this. Maybe I wasn't seeing clearly. The Bible seems to love the the image of blindness and the interplay between Actual blindness, uh, actual ability to see, and spiritual sight and spiritual vision. One of the one of the coolest places I think, literarily, where this comes up is in the at the very beginning of the book of Samuel. The whole thing is introduced, utilizing in a key way this this image, and, and just pick, notice for a second. As we're about to enter, you know, as that this book is about to enter into the story of ancient Israel in a time when they when they were kind of getting off track spiritually, and it's and it's talked about this way. Listen for as I read just a couple of verses. Listen for the language that's related to seeing clearly. From First uh, Samuel three, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak, now Eli's the priest, the head priest, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. You notice just a few things that just add color and add kind of context for this whole thing. It, it, not only is Israel getting spiritually off track, their priest, the one who's like heading up their connection to God, is blind. And the light, how, do, how was it worded? The lamp of God had not yet gone out. I mean, it's, it's not very promising. It's, it's kind of leaning towards glass half empty there on the light, right? It's, it's not yet gone out, but it's close. The light's going out, people aren't seeing visions, even the priest is blind. Spiritual blindness. Probably more notable, you, you might know of the story of Saul, who becomes Paul, and, and he is struck blind as he has that Damascus Road conversion experience. The blindness is, and then getting his sight back through one of God's people, is simply a way of reinforcing how far off he's seeing things, how blind he is to God's reality, so much so that he's actually um, going out and arresting and killing God's people. He's not seeing things right, so God strikes him blind, but then gives his, his sight back, and then he becomes one of God's servants. 
and in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, often bad leadership, ungodly leadership, self-absorbed, you know, um, a little bit in my pocket kind of leadership, you know, I'm not really have, I don't really have the interests of the people in mind, but I'm trying to get myself forward by my leadership position. That kind of leadership is criticized heavily by God, and his prophets come and say, you are blind guides, which is great. I, I love that image. The priests and the prophets have become blind guides. So blindness, it's powerful. It's, um, it's a, it, there's this interplay. And in our story today... Um, we're, we're in the Gospels, and in the Gospels we, ha- we constantly have these things where an actual real thing is used also in a spiritual way to make a bigger point. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and he really does. It's not, it's not just a, a metaphorical feeding or something. It re- he really does come and miraculously feed 5,000 people. But then the teaching afterwards is about spiritual sight, and, or I'm sorry, spiritual hunger. And how Jesus is what? He's the bread of life. And in the same way, so as we look at this story, we're talking about sight and being, and Bartimaeus is given his sight back. And the teaching is about not just Jesus really does give his sight back. That's true. But, he, but then it's used for a bigger case to talk about spiritual blindness and sightedness. And it's very interesting. And this, this is the last um, instance that we'll have in this series of sermons where we're in this section that I've um, referred to often as the adventures of the disciples because they keep getting it wrong. I know you're tired of me saying that, but that's, but that's what this sec- section is. But guess what? It's framed by something, and it's framed by two stories of someone who's blind getting their sight. And it's Jesus' miraculous intervention in, in Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 10. The disciples are blind. <laughs> And they need the miraculous intervention of Jesus to have their spiritual sight. Um, And so, and basically, um, the disciples are seeing nothing as you work through these passages. And over and over again, we've talked about how they just, I mean, you can't even imagine how many ways they just immediately get things wrong. Even right after Jesus has explained it one way, the next thing out of their mouths is to, to see it completely a different way. And so the lesson in all of this is that Jesus alone enables our spiritual sight. Jesus alone enables spiritual sightedness. Um, I have this great, great simple summary quote about the Bible's use of blindness uh, and sightedness, and, it's, and it says this. One person says, in both physical and spiritual instances, blindness is an image of terror, helplessness, and despair unless reversed by God's miraculous intervention. And that's exactly how we need to see our spiritual lack of sight, our spiritual blindness. And so if Jesus is the only way to get to enable our spiritual sightedness, then that's going to mean three things that we see in this passage. First, maybe obvious, maybe goes without saying, but if Jesus alone enables your sight, then that means you don't enable it. That's the first point. And the second is you can't earn it. And then third is you are given a prayer to pray. So you don't enable it, you can't earn it, and you are given a prayer to pray. First of all, you, 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 you can't or you don't enable it. The blind man, as he runs up to Jesus, is very unique in his attitude. 
it's very unusual and rare for us to approach Jesus this way. He approaches Jesus in a way that says, you know, here I am, I can't see. You need to make me able to see. You need to enable it, because I can't. We are akin to the previous story in, uh, that was just told before this, where we come to God with our plans, with our sight. In fact, the narrator wants us to see the connection between these two, because here's what happened in the story right before this. We laughed a little bit at this story last week when James and John came to Jesus and they said, and they said, teacher, we want you to do whatever, what, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know, and it's, 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 you could just sense the self-absorption there. And Jesus says, these are his words, what do you want me to do for you? And then notice when the blind man in the very next story comes up to Jesus, what does Jesus say? What do you want me to do for you? We're supposed to see these stories as a comparison. We're supposed to see the, Jesus says the same thing, but how are these different approaches to Jesus? What are the different possible approaches? Well, one is to say, you know, give me, give me sight. But the more common one that we find ourselves in, the one that has been shown to be the common response, we've just seen story after story of it, is what James and John do. And they come basically and they say, Jesus, will you please bless my vision? The next story, the blind man comes and says, bless me with your vision. So think about your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus or the church or the, any sermon you're listening to or a small group, a pod group that you're attending in the middle of the week. Are you looking to God to approve your ideas? Are you looking to God to find his vision or to reinforce your vision? Whose vision is it? Whose eyesight are you going to depend on? Because we're notorious for coming to God and saying, God, this is where I'm going. I would really appreciate I'm coming to you now, God, because I would really appreciate it if you would remove some of the barriers on the way to getting there, if you would offer me roadside assistance as I uh, head to that point, and if you could just give me some advice on the best routes to take along that journey, because I really want to get over there. You know, how many of us have prayed prayers like that in our life? if we've prayed. I mean, isn't that, isn't that sort of like our gut way of going to God? It's terrifying to consider the possibility that if God could actually reply to your prayer that sounds a lot like that, that what his, what his actual response would be, what he would actually want to do, the first thing God would want to do is say, lovely plans, but you're going somewhere else. If you want, if you want to know what I say, I'm going to be bringing you over there. It's terrifying. And the blind man actually does this because we see, and this is another big clue, subtle to us as we read it in today's world, not knowing kind of what some of these things mean, but a big clue, as, as we read in verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. The cloak would not have been uh, something he was using for his attire, but it would have been what he had laid out on the ground um, in front of him that coins would, be, um, would land on and stay there as he begged, as he asked people for money um, because he couldn't find gainful employment. The cloak spread out in front of him, the cloak in his possession, was essentially his game plan for survival. 
the cloak was his best idea, his best vision for making life, life work. And when Jesus calls him, throws it aside. My, my best ideas for how life could work, where I think this is going, whoosh, they're gone. Isn't that amazing? Jesus alone enables your spiritual vision, and if that's true, then it necessarily starts to rule out the dominance of your own vision for where your life is going. And that foundation that we live by, that what I see and where I'm going and where I desire, that foundation begins to get replaced if you begin to listen to Jesus, if you begin to seek spiritual sight. So if Jesus enables our vision, then, then you don't enable it. But secondly, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. I know that's tough to hear. That's, that's what we love to do. That's the default drive of the human heart is to earn our way into God's presence. But in, in verse 52, we read this, this really intriguing verse where Jesus' reply, when he says, Rabbi, I want to see, Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Go, your faith has healed you. And um, the, the word choice is interesting because the word for healed is the word save. Um, so go, your faith has saved you is an absolutely legitimate way in a way that would have sound in the original Greek language that this is written. Go, your faith has saved you. Now what, what, is the, what is Bartimaeus, what is this blind man's faith that has saved him? What, what do we know about it? What could Jesus be talking about there? And one possibility is that he did, like I just described, he did not hang on to his cloak, but he, he had faith that moving forward he wouldn't need that. Even before he was given his sight, he threw his cloak aside, so that's faith. But also, I think what what really needs to stand out in our vision is that there is no attempt made as he comes to Jesus with the request for sight. There's no attempt made to earn it. It's the most humbling thing in the world to say, God, I come to you and I bring no argument or no evidence that I deserve what I'm asking for, that I deserve to be good with you, that I deserve you to be good with me and to bless my journey. I bring no evidence. I bring no argument that I am deserving. Just a simple request, a simple request that he says, he says, um, Rabbi, I want to see. And then it's just sort of hanging out there in thin air, just a simple request with no evidence, no argument, no support of deserving it. And this is probably the most misunderstood part about Christianity, about Jesus, and about the Bible. Is that we can't earn God's gift. We can't earn God's saving us or God healing us. It seems like the default drive of our heart is to construct at, at, at any point in our spiritual journey. This is not just for someone trying to figure out Jesus for the first time. But all the way along, we continue to try to construct payback systems. To seek a reward, to try to follow the rules, to try to chase after what 
Well, God would say to us, what are you chasing after? It's given out free at the starting line. (laughs) What are you racing after? Bartimaeus, the blind man, has not followed Jesus long and hard enough to deserve a healing. He's healed enough to start following. And that is the Christian gospel that we've, I've said this a lot of times, that it is not that you obey in order to get accepted by God, but you might just be introduced to God. He might just become clear to you and you have spiritual sightedness enough to know you've been accepted so that you might obey. You don't obey in order to hopefully get assurance of being accepted. You find assurance of your acceptance, which leads you, like the blind man, he just, Jesus says, go, but he comes. <laughs> go, but he just starts following, because now he's been saved, he's been healed, he's been given his sight back. He doesn't deserve it. And Jesus doesn't you know, invite you, as you imagine, as you and I both imagine, we imagine God is going to invite you to the treadmill of religiosity. And he doesn't. But he invites you to to stop trying to earn his free gift so that he can open up your eyes with his grace. So you can't earn it. We said you don't enable it, you can't earn it. But you also are given a prayer. And the prayer that you're given in this passage is a prayer that contains two incredible truths and together, when they're placed together in a prayer and in faith, they, they have such incredible power. This is what the blind man says, um, and he says it twice, so we should pay attention. He says, Jesus, son of, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. What this contains, on the one hand, it contains the messianic title. The messianic title of Jesus. This is saying the most, the lofty, most highest thing you can possibly want to say about Jesus as you come to him. He's putting Jesus in the highest, highest place of honor with the greatest power, the greatest potential to bless him. But then he also says, he also puts himself in the lowest place because he says, have mercy on me. And mercy is not, and mercy is different than help me. Mercy is different than just pure compassion. Mercy that, that word, that specific word, includes the aspect of not deserving what you're asking of. So there's a self-acknowledgement of lowliness and humbleness, and there's a Jesus acknowledgement of loftiness and greatness. In other words, I come to you, Jesus, and my prayer includes both the fact that I have self-evaluated myself, and I, I'm not worthy, and I've evaluated you, and I've decided you Take a central place in my life. If you are who you say you are, things are going to shift like crazy in my life if I start living that way. I give you the highest place, the most central place of someone that I need to listen to and follow. And I admit that my devotion is flawed and that I don't deserve what I'm asking. I don't deserve for you to give me sight. Have mercy on me. If you want to have your eyes open and you want to start comprehending the power of God's grace, pray a prayer like that. Have, have a faith like that that puts together those two elements. The absolute authority and greatness of God in your life and your own inability to earn a, a, a single fraction of what you're asking him to give you. Your skewed eyesight plus God's perfect vision, what that brings together 
friends, is it brings a catalytic ability to have vision in this life. Are you blind? Let's pray. Dear God, we ask that you give us spiritual sight. Uh, I, I thank you for the great, the great stories that we've seen in this little section of scripture and how they end with such, such a punch, with such a, a wonderful summary. And yet it's so hard-hitting that we can't help but pray as we finish and say, please help us. Help us whether we sit here this morning and, and we really are new to, uh, to you to your grace, to the story of, of Jesus. Maybe we're about as new to you as Bartimaeus was. And others of us, maybe, maybe we're more like those disciples who, um, you know, who've maybe been following you a long time, and maybe, as the tendency is, we're starting to think of ourselves as, as we're a pretty big deal <laughs> with you, or we've done a pretty good job. And I pray that in both cases, you may be so glorious and you may shine so brightly um, and that you may open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you, every single one of us, to see you for who you are, such a, such a great God, so able, and yet, and yet so loving and gracious, so forgiving, so accepting. Show us this in Jesus' name. Amen.